coming up on your favorite podcast. I am getting ready to go on a little spring break. I'm heading off to Florida for a couple of days. So I wanted to get a pod in with Rhino uh, before I left. Rhino and I had a chance to talk about quite a bit of stuff here tonight. We talked a little bit of politics. Chuck Klosterman, I read Chuck Klosterman's book, uh, The 90s. And so I wanted to run through some 90s hypotheticals with Ryan. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him a little bit about that, about Gen X and with a lack of political candidates for Gen X. Uh, so we got into that kind of long rambling dissertation and then we shifted over and talked a little politics we also mentioned some oscars in there too so we get some oscar stuff in and then we work in some nfl free agency and draft talk and lamar jackson stuff at the end of the pod so we got quite a bit here hope you enjoy it i'll be back later on in the week early next week to break down my trip to florida and all that good stuff but until then enjoy the pod with rhino and me next Yeah, you got to get that last part in, that bang, bang, that last part. It shows you that uh, Brutus was cutting, strutting and cutting. Hey, everybody, it's the Tim Anderson Podcast. I'm Tim. And that is my buddy Rhino across the way. Ryan, good to talk to you for another episode of the Pod and Pod Paris. How you doing? I got to tell you, I'm exhausted today. I'm very tired today. Had a lot. I've had a whole I've had a, thing. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had a, a rough... Um, had a rough week or two with the kid. He's been sick and he's just getting over it, but he's still kind of wheezy and you know coughing a lot. So it's mostly just a pain in the ass, but you know, what do you do? I don't know what you do. I don't have any kids, so I have yeah, to no, take that, you the, at whatever your. The answer is you just kind of let it happen and you just deal with the tiredness and just know that you're going to get some rest tomorrow when he goes to the babysitter and no one's home. So already counting it down, huh? Yeah, I got the wife at uh, in the office tomorrow. Got uh, uh, the kid at my parents, and uh, uh, Dad's going to get some nice quality sleep time tomorrow. <laughs> nice, nice, quiet house. Don't have to worry about anything. Just, uh, just got to get her done. I support that. Whatever, whatever it is you need to do, I I support your ability to do it. Um, well, I appreciate that. Well, hey, that's that's how we roll around here, you and I. That's the relationship you and I have is we're 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 good with that. So uh, let me open with this. Um, did you ever think you would live in a world uh, where Brendan Frazier has an Oscar? Uh, I didn't, but I'm glad that I do. Is this the is this the world that you want to live in where Brendan Frazier has an Oscar? I, look, I, first of all, I think he he deserves it. I thought that that, you know, I didn't love the movie, but the performance was excellent. Uh, well, he did the classic he, move, right? You have to fundamentally change your body or where, you know, be something else. And that's usually how you can get an Oscar. Yeah. And, and and he trolled some pretty emotional depths in that movie, too. So it was, you know, I mean, good for him. Right. I mean, he you're you're not going to find a whole lot, a guy that a whole lot of people are going to cheer for more than Brendan Fraser at this point. I like Brendan uh, Fraser, so that's not a rip, by the way. I, I like yeah. Brendan Fraser, and I'm good with it. It's just it's a very interesting world we live in now. Yeah, I wouldn't have accused you of not liking Brendan Fraser. Yeah, I uh, I also uh, I didn't watch any of this because I try not to watch award shows anymore because I just find them to be completely indulgent, and I just have no time for it. But um, I, I'm fascinated at the fact that data from the Goonies, short round from Temple of Doom. 
had that great, I will say it was a great moment with him and Harrison Ford hugging. Yeah. Like, I mean, that is, for, what is that, 40 years removed from Temple of Doom? And there they were yeah. having that. That was, that's pretty cool. You can't make that it stuff cool. up. I that agree. was a pretty cool I, moment. I, I loved that. I thought it was awesome. I was really happy to see it. And, you know, that those, um, those two specifically have such a, an interesting relationship that I think that it's, it's just really cool to see, you know, it's cool. First of all, it's cool to see Harrison, Harrison uh, Ford smile. You know, you don't see it a whole lot. He's generally, you know, the Hollywood curmudgeon, you know what I mean? He's just, uh, that's just kind of what he does. But to see him smile in that moment was, I thought was, was awesome. It was good to see. So you obviously meant a lot to him and it means a lot to, to Kiwi Kwan. So, you know, that's, that's what it's about. You know, we, we talk about self-indulgent and self-congratulatory and, and all the problems that there are with award shows. Those are the kinds of moments that you want in an award show. Those are very like nice. Those. Yeah. Obviously everybody's making a big deal. Uh, and I don't know if everybody, because you, you only get it in some circles and it's mostly just the, the Twitter brigade and, and all of that stuff, the outrage world of Twitter where, they're you know making a big deal out of Angela Bassett and her reaction to Jamie Lee Curtis winning. And look, here's the deal: you got a right to be disappointed. It's fine. I don't I don't have any issues with Angela Bassett feeling disappointed that she didn't win. It's fine. You don't have to. You don't have to love that. Like you 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 can say you can feel you were robbed. I I just don't want to hear any other. I don't want to hear anything else out of it because that's sour grapes and I don't have time for it. But. You know, people are getting I, after her and then they're getting after the Academy. And it's like, well, listen, what if, listen, if, if we just decide, why don't you just, let's skip all the pretense then. And you just tell me who you want to win. And we'll just do that every year. Well, and I'll tell you, I saw, I saw uh, all of the, all the movies nominated for, for that category. And look, we need some firmer idea of what a supporting actor or actress is. Uh, because I, did, have you seen everything ever all at once? Did you see that movie? I have not seen it in, in fairness. I have, I, so, I have not seen it. So Jamie Lee Curtis's part is not a supporting role. It is a featured role. She's in it for less than 10 minutes. She, well, that's supporting. She, Hang on. That's supporting she, then. Isn't no, it? I, I disagree. I think it needs a separate category because it's, it's a, it's more of a bit part than like Stephanie Hsu, who was in the whole movie. And is the supporting character. This is right? like the Anne Hathaway thing all over again with Les Mis because Anne Hathaway's in it for like 35 minutes. She wins the Academy Award for it. Right. But she's she's a very major role at the first act of that movie. Right. Jamie Lee Curtis is not a very major role. She's a funny bit part. Right. But if you're going to look at the the uh, filmography of Jamie Lee Curtis's career and look at this movie and say this is what she won her oscar for i think it's probably it's, oh, it's no it's a it's a it's an achievement award it, it's, it a make, it's a make good. Is, but but angela bassett's performance in wakanda forever uh if it's in any movie that isn't a marvel movie if it doesn't say marvel in front of it you think she, she wins that award running away tim it's it's the most moving performance i've seen on on in a marvel movie ever it's the best acting performance you're going to see in a marvel movie it's it was it was a, a heavy hitting performance, and and Stephanie she was great. She was amazing. She was so good in everything, everywhere, all at once that that she does she absolutely deserved that award. The only person I thought that really 
only because of the length of time they were on camera and the kind of role they were playing comparatively, even in that movie to someone else who was nominated from that movie. I didn't think, I didn't think that Jamie Lee Curtis deserved it. And it's nothing, it's not a knock on Jamie Lee Curtis. I think she's great. I love Jamie Lee Curtis, but I thought that she should have deserved it more for, for knives out than she, than she would have for this. She should have just, they never reward comedies, but like fish called Wanda, you know, stuff like that back in, you know, late eighties, she was, she did some really good stuff. She's a great, never gets credit for actress. Yeah. She's great. And a part of that is because she was a scream queen for a long time and they don't give horror movies the recognition they deserve. Hasn't shook that Halloween thing. Hasn't, hasn't, hasn't shook it ever. I don't think ever will. And deserves better, right? Jamie Lee Curtis is great, and I'm I'm not trying to disparage her. I'm saying that the Academy has a problem in the way that they classify certain roles. That's all I'm saying. And and I thought that there were two really good performances that deserved more recognition. And and let's be clear about one thing too. And this is a little out of left field. Banshees of Inna Sharon deserved way more love than it got last night. That was a great movie, and it got nothing. It won nothing. There's a lot of movies like that every year that get a bunch of nominations, never win. You know, maybe they're the the kind of the darlings of something, but then when it comes down to it, they don't get any awards. They just get tons of nominations. I always feel like that's what happens to like nine, 90% of Woody Allen films. Like they'd always get nominated, but other than Annie Hall, I mean, he didn't win a bunch of them, you know, so they but they get nominated all the time. They get nominated 10 times, win two things, you know, that'd be about it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't been... Nothing this year. The problem here with this is the, is this. Like, here's the problem with the Oscars right now. And the problem with movies in general. In 20 years, will we talk about everything, everywhere, all at once? I think so, only because it's such a unique movie. Will we it's, talk about The Whale in 20 years? No. And and we'll talk about Brendan Fraser's performance. Will as, we? You know, as... I mean, yeah, you talk about like the the history of of people who win these awards, right? And and Brendan Fraser had this this renaissance in the last couple of years, right? Between Doom Patrol, getting back in Hollywood, doing the circuit, doing this movie, and then winning the winning the Oscar for Best Actor, like that's that's a big deal. And his career is going to continue beyond this point now, where he can go pick up projects he wants to do as an as an Academy Award winning actor, and. Just for my money, I think that that's that's the story, right? The whale is going to get forgotten, but the actor's performance isn't. Is and this like Training gonna... Day then? Like where Denzel wins for Training Day, even though it's really like his 90th best role he's ever done. But that's right. how people will remember Training Day. Because Training Day is okay, but it's not nearly his best film. Not even close. No, but he he is 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 throwing 105 the whole movie. He's great. Yeah, right? completely it's, agree. It's the same thing with The Whale, right? Brendan Fraser... The, the movie's not great, and there's a lot of problems with the movie, especially with the way it treats fat people. Uh, but Brendan Fraser gets a pass on that for a lot of people because he's batting, he's throwing 105 the whole th- the whole time. And I think the same thing of Elvis too, right? Elvis is a crap movie. That is not. Yeah, a it's good garbage. Movie. Yeah, that that movie's uh, terrible, terrible, the, terrible. The uh, the whole Colonel uh, character with Tom Hanks garbage just doesn't work the movie is a two-hour movie that feels like it's six hours but <laughs> it's I'm, i swear to god i'm still watching it it's still playing on my television uh and uh but but austin butler gives what might be one of the best performances we've seen in the last five years he didn't win is that the, Oscar the because 
Is that the Bohemian Rhapsody effect, like the Rami, the Rami Malek? Because he wins for Freddie Mercury, even though the movie's pretty forgettable. Yeah, I, like, I, Bohemian see, I Rhapsody think, is not that good. I don't think that Bohemian Rhapsody was good, and Rami Malek's performance is, is okay by comparison to what Austin Butler did. Austin Butler was Elvis. Mm. That, that it was, I don't know if you've seen it. Do you think but, it's, no, I haven't seen that, but do you, I mean, I actually, I have seen Elvis. I thought he was good, but I also felt like we've seen Elvis impersonators a million times. Like, and maybe I mean, that's his problem. Like he's probably one of the better ones, but, but I, we've I seen Elvis think, get portrayed 10,000 times. I think there's a difference between the, the caricature of Elvis that we see a lot. And like the, you, you see like the mythologized version of Elvis in a lot of these kinds of movies, right? Where they play him as the larger than life from somebody else's perspective sort of deal where I thought Austin Butler really got into the kind of grit of of Elvis and the and the conflicts of Elvis and the internal problems of Elvis where you know he's wrestling with fame in the late 60s of how do I you know I came up in in black churches I I know these people I know the civil rights movement I, I believe in this cause how do I throw my support without you know isolating a whole group of my fans that buy my music and support my career and he's really wrestling with that. And you can see that in Austin Butler's performance. And I thought he did, he did a really great job, despite the fact that I fucking hated that movie. You know, I, I thought he was great, but you know, not, not to get off the topic of supporting actress, which the, pro- the problem that you run into though, with the Oscars in general is that the movies that got nominated and the movies that we talked about just now were not box office movies. Like none of them. Wakanda forever. Sure. Yep. That one. But I would argue that might be one of the things that worked against Angela Bassett is that the movie's well known. That for whatever reason, we there was a shift, and I, I don't know when this happened, where like the Oscar movies were basically only independent films and none of them were box office successes. You know, it's not like the 90s where like, you know, Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, you know, those were big time films. They those did big time numbers at the box office, Apollo 13, uh, you, you start to go down the line, whatever the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, those were big movies that did well at the box office that weren't like that, that were known. People knew them. They were commodities. People had seen them. Um, I, I don't believe that was the case last night, unless you were a diehard Oscar person. Like I know Lowe is, and I know you are maybe to a certain extent. Well, you are by proxy because Lowe yeah, is. I, I'm required to be. Yeah. <laughs> she watches movies like I watch sports. Yes. And so I think, Unless you're that, I, I don't know if if that works. We got to get Allison on for this. Like, yeah. this is where we got to get Allison on the pod. She can break this down for us. Our pal Allison Wanchoba, film expert, speech judge, uh, former speechy to the stars. We got to get all. We got to get Al- Allison on here to talk about this stuff because she knows this stuff inside and out. For sure. We'll have to talk more about that. Let's put a pin in this Oscars discussion. Fascinating stuff, obviously. Um, congratulations to Brendan Fraser. Makes you yeah. want to go watch George of the Jungle. Yeah. And, and I would argue he's better than George in the Jungle, though. I would argue I he's better than that. Could, we can say that this Oscar was for George of the Jungle. This is just, this is an, an achievement you, award. This is also too. a make good. Him, him you know, and Jamie Lee Curtis is, win make good awards. <laughs> this is this is a make good for bedazzled. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> oh, stop it. Bedazzled. Oh, my God. I did like that movie when I was 18. Stinks. God, it's so bad now. Anyway, um, just finished a book. I don't know. You read yeah. much? What are you reading? Oh, uh, I've got a couple of things on the old shelf right now. Um, you still you're done with the Bill Walsh book, right? You're on to something else. Yeah. Uh, right now, let me look at my shelf here. I have a 
list. Oh, Jesus Christ. What is happening here? He's getting up, looking at his shelf. All right, let's see what he's got. uh, I've got this one that I just bought. This is Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. I'm going to cut this for a prose piece. Ooh, very nice. Uh, or a, a guy guy duo. Uh, really any really a, any any kind of duo there in speech because it's it's about uh, an angel and a demon who are friends at the end of the world. Uh and and kind of the 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 dichotomy of the two. It, it's a really good comedy. It, it it was adapted into a TV show um which I also have the full screenplay of all of season 1 uh in a book that we can you know that I can cut as well if I wanted to do that instead. Uh, with uh, Michael Sheen and David Tennant playing the uh, the angel and the devil, which it's mm. it's great. I think it's great. Uh, so that's what I'm reading right now. What are you reading? I just finished the '90s, a book by Chuck Klosterman. Um, okay. Fantastic. I think Chuck. See, and Chuck's not for everybody. Uh, I'll start with that. He's 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 a um, he's a bit esoteric. He's a, he's out there. Um, I think his style of writing isn't for everyone. He's the smartest guy, and I don't think he's afraid to, like, say that or or show that. Like, he's very, very smart. And so his approach to things can be a little bit, I don't know, uh, it's hard to, uh, I don't know what what you could argue, maybe, I don't know, jaded, bitter? I don't know what you could say, but it's very intellectual. I I would call it a very intellectual book. It's not not a book that is just for the folks that want to do a 90s deep dive, although it really is, um, because I think he analyzes it. And he analyzes everything, man. Oh, gosh. I mean, from the pop culture stuff all the way down to the politics, to the social movements, to the music, to to everything. I mean, he touches on Pepsi Clear, which, by the way, that was a thing for a while, Ryan. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, I'm familiar with Crystal Pepsi. Yeah, Crystal Pepsi. Thank you very much. Uh, He he gets into uh, the Unabomber. He gets into the the – political the, the presidency of bill clinton uh the election of 2000 uh and he contends that decades are not defined things that they're not january 1 1990 to december 31st 1999 he's like that's not the 90s and his idea is that well the conventional wisdom is it's the fall of the berlin wall and, and 9-11 that's the that's the conventional 90s but he argues it's more of the release of nirvana uh never mind smells like teen spirit uh, to 9-11. So basically September 91 to September 2001. That is the 90s, um, which I thought was a very interesting timeline that he creates. And uh, uh, one topic he gets into that I think is really interesting, and I want to get your thoughts on this because this is hypothetical stuff and you're a politics guy. Sure. So he drops a, there's a nice chapter on Ross Perot. Uh, for those of you who aren't, who are young people on my podcast, Perot was a third party candidate in 1992, ran for president, uh, with basically a lot of money. He was a rich dude, just financed his own thing. He was buying 30-minute infomercials instead of like political ads. He would just buy 30 minutes and just run his 30-minute program, uh, which people found kind of charming because it was a lot of graphs and a lot of this stuff. Um, he was doing pretty well for a stretch. Uh, and people wonder, you know, if Pro doesn't exist, President Bush goes from like an 80% approval rating in 1991 to out of office in 1992. And a lot of people feel like Perot is a direct cause of that because he siphoned votes more from Bush than Clinton. Um, and the hypothetical is what happens, and he, he goes into some detail on this, what happens if Bush wins a second term 
and that big 16 straight years of Republican uh, leadership in the White House. And what that does to the Democratic Party, what that does to leadership, what that does to the politics of the culture of the 90s, how does that influence and change things? I think it's a really interesting deep dive, and it makes me think about not just that hypothetical, but other interesting hypotheticals, maybe in sports or whatever. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, so that the obviously, like, the 90s are not my, like, historical forte. You really should I, check this book out. I, I think you'd like I, it. I should. I should. I'm, you know, I, I've been upfront about the fact that I've been, you know, World War II, like, you know, ancient medieval type guy. But I do like American political history. So I think about this a lot. But this specific election, the 92 election, uh, is one that I haven't read a ton about. So when you texted me about this earlier today, I started thinking about it and I started going back and reading a little bit and and trying to, you know, de- decipher what happened, right? Yep. You know, how did we get to where we were? And, you know, Clinton won the popular vote basically running away is over 5 million, but it was 43 to 37. And then Perot had 80, 18.9%. Yep. Um, Which is pretty good for a third party candidate to carry that kind of vote. It is. It is. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't have the state by state numbers on here, but you look at the states that, that he, that Bush won, you would think that he had a better shot at winning this election than he ended up having because, you know, at this point, Ohio's still pretty reliably blue, right? This is not a, a situation like it is today where Ohio's gone almost full red, right? They're not really a purple state yet. They're on the way. But Bush won uh, uh, Texas and he won Florida, but he lost Georgia. Yeah. Right? And that's that's where I think the swing happens from Perot is uh, you already kind of had this you know, obviously you talked about Bush's 80% approval rating. You already had this kind of rebellion in the Republican Party where he got primaried as a sitting president by Pat Buchanan because you decided to raise taxes. Yep. Right. And, and which probably didn't help him either. No, because the one thing that Republicans need is conservative turnout and Democrats to not turn out. Uh, and what you ended up with was a split Republican vote because of him raising taxes from a businessman who probably wouldn't have run if he didn't raise taxes. Uh, and, and now you've got, Clinton in office who, I mean, it should not have won. Yeah. He right? was, t- he, his yeah. Iowa caucus numbers were like 3%. He, he should not have won. Uh, but he ends up carrying Tennessee, Georgia, Arkansas, and, and Louisiana, which is, I mean, you think about that in the context of today, obviously Georgia is a little bit of a, a wild card today because they've got the exploding numbers of educated black people in Atlanta. Uh, and and it's becoming more of a purple state. It's been blue the last couple of election cycles, which is odd, but you know that's the fact we're dealing with. But for Tennessee, I mean, it, here's the states that went blue: Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, Missouri, uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, Iowa. If you would have had Ohio, right? If you would have had any one of those states go blue in the last election, I think that we would have been talking about you know, what the heck happened for Republicans in those states? Because, you know, 30 years ago in the context of of today's politics, you know, even down that that belt of Iowa, Missouri, Kentucky, West Virginia, uh, uh, Tennessee, Arkansas, Louisiana, those seven states going blue 
I mean, has there been a time? I don't think they went blue in ninety in ninety six. Uh, oh, he won big and, in ninety six over yeah, he, Dole. He, he, he won big. Right. He won big uh, in ninety six. He won going away. The but my I certainly not in two thousand. No, it, certainly it, those, not. Those went red in two thousand. Very much so. But very much. But those seven states for a Democrat to win them. Well, even just is, a popular Arkansas Democrat governor, which is very right. bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I just I'm looking at a blue West Virginia, and, and as a 30 year old who didn't see this election, my mind's a little bit blown. Um, but even then, like you know, you had your like Virginia's red. Why is Virginia red and West Virginia's blue? <laughs> I don't know. How, bizarre, isn't it? Indiana is the only Midwestern state that doesn't go for Clinton. What the hell happened? Right? Like this is, these are very odd things in the context of today's politics. And, you know, was that all Perot? I don't think it was all Perot. No, I think I, a lot of it. I think Colsterman argues that, yes, it's a, there was this run of what he called, I think what they called neoliberalism, yeah. where he, it was a lot of like kind of a run of that, but also a run to the middle. Like you felt like Clinton. One thing he was very good at was like he could be what he needed to be for every audience. So like he was just moderate enough for those moderate righties to appreciate him and just liberal enough for the lefties to appreciate him. And that's how he was able to make this coalition work, I think, which is I I think the problem is, is now you got both sides who've kind of ran to the outer fringes when I think they could go back and take a look at this election and see you might want to consider running to the middle a little more often if you're interested in winning like big, big swaths of people. Republican or Democrats did that for decades, right? The the context that you have to think about this, and this comes from a couple of different books that I've read on this, uh, on, on just political movements in general. If you think about, and you look at what happened to Democrats in the nineties, 100% of it was a response to what Reagan brought just whipping their ass in the eighties. Yep. Right. Because up until the 1980s and really until the mid 90s, Democrats controlled all of the all of Congress. They they had they held wide swaths of the country under their control for for like three generations post FDR, right? So that, I mean that's that's a huge swath of people that that are voting Democrat that now they're voting for Reagan because he's voting for lower he's pushing lower taxes he's pushing deregulation. Uh, all these kind of buzzwords that we know today are are negative things, and we're seeing the effects of them now more than ever, right? With the, the de- especially the deregulation stuff. You have the run on the banks this weekend. You have the the derailments and and the transportation issues. Uh, that that's the effects, but they don't. They, you don't have that in the '90s, right? You still have a very central regulatory government system that's that's upholding a lot of these structures that were built prior to Reagan coming in, even if he had started the ball rolling on dismantling a lot of them. And Newt Gingrich would come in two years after this election that we're discussing and completely demolish about three quarters of them before it starts the ball rolling into the 21st century. And here we are. But uh, Clinton, especially that run to the middle, uh, was driven by trying to reclaim those Reagan Democrats, right? Got really tough on crime, got really tough on drugs, uh, you had kind of this resurgence of American pride within the Democratic Party, uh, but at the same time, he's got to reach out to black voters uh, in in this sort of what, I don't I don't know if this is exactly the time period we're thinking, but like I want to call it the Rodney King era. Yeah, it's post right? uh, ninety two. Yeah, the uh, the L A riots are, are May of ninety two. 
So it's so, right. In, it's basically in the backdrop of this summer of, of this election run leading up to it. So think about like I was 11. Jesus Christ. So if you think about that time period and kind of put it as an analog up to like the 2020 election, right, where among Republicans, Donald Trump is exceptionally popular, right? Yep. Nationally, he's about he's floating about 48 percent. And then George Floyd hits, right? Those protests hit. You have the 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 riots and the the demonstrations all over the country and there's unrest and that's probably about as close to you know what would have what would 92 would have been in a modern sense right i don't want to say the 92 isn't modern because i mean you were 11 and it really wasn't that long ago but like it doesn't but it feels yeah. but it is that long it's this thing it feels like it doesn't it's, feel long ago to me but it might as well be a light light years from you yeah i mean it, and it's the world was so different just like with the way that we were connected and, 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 you know, how, how we were disconnected, right. You, you didn't have, people didn't have cell phones. You know what I mean? They didn't have yep. uh, Twitter or the ability to organize online or come together and work together across the country and organize things at the same time. Uh, a lot of this stuff was, you know, it's kind of spontaneous where in 2020, obviously it was very well organized. But my point is that, you know, Clinton probably benefited more from that than, uh, than he did from Perot, right? Republicans shot themselves in the foot with the tax issue in, in, in 92. And you had Rodney King, which stirred up the, as much as you could stir up black voters in the 90s. Uh, and you had this kind of counterculture, counterculture grunge movement uh, that was coming in that saw the Republican Party as very uh, uncool and establishment. We're yeah, anti-establishment. Yeah, you know and we're going we're going d- we're going out to outside the box. We don't even want to vote. That kind of right. Thing. The the it, where this generation for all their problems today uh, kind of turns toward what can we do? What kind of activism can we take? How can we get involved if we're not happy with something? Historically, in the 90s, the people who were in that movement where it was apathy, I mean, they weren't – they just didn't vote. They didn't go out. I yeah, mean, it was low turnout, these, low turnout in both 92 and 96, really. So like not strong, not great turnout. What was it? Yeah, something like that. 92. Well, Dole didn't do anything. Like it was uh, – Dole didn't motivate the Republican base at all. He was 70-something years old and, uh, you know, while he was, a you know, I think a good – a good working Republican. I don't think that I don't think and he excited was, anybody. It was 51% in 96 compare that to 62% in 2020. Right. hundred percent. Right. So that's, that's a far cry. Huge. Right. I mean, even, even in like 2012, which was, you know, Obama's reelection, 58% voted there. So even there, your, your numbers are well above, uh, what you were looking at in the nineties as far as, as far as turnout. So, I mean, th- there's a 2004 was 60%, 2054 54%. Like there's these two elections, 58, you know, f- decently high, but 51 in 96 is a foregone conclusion that, that Clinton was probably winning. The other point that Klosterman makes about politics in this piece, and let me just ask this last one for you. And then we can obviously do, we, we should turn that into a good sports hypothetical. I think that'd be a great pod to figure out like, if this person doesn't exist, 
what happens? Uh, I think that would be a fascinating conversation to get into. We kind of did that on Peak Cinema. If we, what if what if uh, Jim Carrey takes the role of? Oh yeah, we did kind of do that. Yeah, if he's Ian Malcolm, if Jim Carrey's Ian Malcolm, the butterfly effect of that. Oh man, yeah. If you haven't gone back and heard that, go ahead and do that. Um, the uh, Colsterman makes the observation that a Gen Xer, you know, that there was this there's this long held belief that a Gen X person will not be president. That it'll be the first generation of people where they skip a president, where like Gen X just won't ever get one. And I'm starting to look and I'm like, yeah, if it's not DeSantis this year or in two years, who's it going to be? Because DeSantis, I think, is technically a Gen Xer, right? Because he's what, 44, like 45-ish? Like he's in the Gen X, he's in the Gen X conversation, right? But yeah, like they're looking at like, I mean, it's almost like it's skipped this Gen X. This is when like, what was Clinton was in his 40s when he was elected president. Obama was in his 40s when he was elected president. This should be the 40s turn for the Gen Xers. It, my generation, this should be where we take control of things. And it appears that they're going to want to skip this generation entirely. Because if Trump wins the nomination on the Republican side and Biden's back again in the Democratic side, those are two guys who are octogenarians. Yeah. 70 plus, 70s and 80s, high we- 70s and 80s. Do we really want to run that back again? No, we don't want to run that back again. That sounds horrible. We don't want to run that back. But my point is, who's it going to be if it's not like that's where basically it's it's either DeSantis or Gen X is probably never going to have a candidate. I mean, okay, so let's. let's So think about that. Think about the Gen X piece of this. Why have we not seen a Gen like Beto Beto O'Rourke is maybe the close he's ran, but like he's not. He's not winning Ted, anything. Ted Cruz is Gen X. Is Ted Cruz technically Gen X? Uh, but is he running that. again? No, oh, God, no. I, oh God. Yeah, no, he's Gen X. So DeSantis uh, would be the Gen X hope if there is one this election. Yeah. If not, like, what else you got? You know, like, that's it. We're, it's going to skip past this generation and it's going to move right on to the next one. Or it's going to stay in the boomer or whatever generation it is prior to us. Yeah, I think Nikki Haley is also Gen X. Yeah, Nikki Haley is also Gen X. Uh, So I guess maybe if she can pull out the nomination, she'd have a shot. But, uh, you know, even still, like, I don't. Why skip? Why do you think this generation has been kind of skipped? So a, a couple of reasons. First of all, boomers refuse to give up power, which is like the the reason number one there hasn't been any Gen Xers that have gotten into it. Two, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Gen Xers that are in in politics, the Democrats, they're they're pretty quiet, right? Gen X Democrats are are generally pretty quiet. I actually can't think of a ton like Eric Swalwell, maybe. Yeah, there's not a uh, lot of those guys because it feels like the Democratic the people who are in the Democratic Party, they're either really old or they're really young. Yeah. And you kind and, of feel that way a little bit on the Republican side, but not so much, right? I mean, you feel like they're either middle-aged well, or they're middle-aged old. Or really old. Or yeah. really old. It, yeah, maybe other than Lauren Boebert, who's young. Like, who's young in that party right now? And you have this issue. And she's going to be a grandma at 36 and think that's yeah. a good thing. So, hey, yeah, we hats off to you. Jesus uh, Christ. Anyway, keep uh, going. The, the, the interesting thing about Gen X that we haven't talked about much is – where they are conservative, they are tend to be anyway, way more radically conservative 
than even the boomers were, right? Their support is for uh, almost an authoritarian style of, of control, right? Very law and order, very staunch. Like you look at the, the politicians and the Gen Xers that are in political media that are, that are calling for policies, they are hardline right wing, far right wing, uh, kinds of, of, of voices that are happening on the right, right? The, the Gen Xers that are driving these policies, Ron DeSantis is chief among them. These are hard right, right wing sort of policies that are coming out of them. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's because, cause I mean, I'm in this, I'm in this kind of Gen X millennial line, like I'm right on the line, but I, I'm a nineties, I'm a nineties child, right? I'm, I'm a, um, eighties baby, nineties teenager, whatever you want to call it. But, um, is it is it strictly about the technology then? Is it or the the technological divide? The fact that we actually know what a we're and Colstrom brings this up as well. Last point on that book is he brings up this idea that it's this generation, my generation, that is in this weird place where like the people older than us could still live their life without the internet and technology and cell phones, like my grandmother, right? Like my grandmother's ninety years old. She's never been on the internet. She doesn't have a cell phone. She's good. Like she's never going to have one. It's totally fine. And then yeah. there's the generation like you, Rhino, who this is all you know. You don't know this other world. And here we are in this well, my generation in this active world of both, where I know both and I've seen both and I understand both. And I think that that what is that? What's the cause here? I think my generation gets shortchanged on that a little bit because you you've got to remember like late millennials. Like, yeah, like, like people who were born immediately following me, I agree with that. But like, I was, I remember 97, 98, 99, you know what I mean? Like, when were you really born? 93. So like, it was, you know, I'm, I'm still old enough that I can remember a time before internet took over my life. You know what I mean? I remember you were very up, young. You're five. Yeah, right. But I mean, like, it really wasn't until what, like 2005, 2006, that it really became... Well, Twitter's live. 2006, right? So Facebook's Facebook, 05. 2004. Yeah, 4 or you know, 5, I, something like that. I had I had a MySpace in 2005. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the social media really didn't become a thing until I was middle school. Yeah. You know what I mean? So my childhood, I really remember like landline phones, like calling the landline at home. Like, yep. You know, have, going out and playing all day with my friends, having my cell phone couldn't outside. do much. Yeah, it's, you're, I guess you're right. Yeah. Early 2000s cell phones. I mean, you can maybe text on them. Right. And about I, all you, know, you could do. I had like a razor in 2007. Like that was my first cell phone. You know what I mean? So like that, that sort of developmental stage, like I get it. Like the kids today, the ones who were born like 99 to 2007, you know what I mean? They're, those kids, they are the first generation that doesn't really know right. what it was like before. So, I mean, so then what do you think me, is the reason for the hard, for the hard stance then? Why, why, why do you think that is? This, this gets into a, a whole other issue and this is, I don't want to call it conspiracy because it's not a conspiracy. It's just I was going to say, do we got to get a hat on it's, here? It's, it's that kind of idea where like, it's not an organized choice that a lot of people made, but it's a series of circumstances that I think piled up to put us in a situation where a whole generation of people is dealing with the collective trauma of something that they're not even really realizing that they're dealing with. 
So right. you think my generation is dealing? I mean, I'm not even saying you're wrong. Cause you're probably even right. Cause I would argue that I'm, like I said, I've always been kind of left, middle left, right? And I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't think I've moved too much on that, but I do feel like people have moved further left than me. And I've found myself sitting in the left center and, you know, I'm wondering if I'm feeling kind of left behind here a little bit. And I wonder if there aren't a lot of, I don't know if there's a See, lot of people like me or the, if it's. The, the, the hard part for people like you isn't that you disagree with a lot of the things that, that people like me say, you, you disagree with the methods, right? There's a so, lot yeah, of, to like, a certain the, extent. Yeah. Like the way that we get the, the way that we get there is a problem, but we're arguing for what you, your side has been arguing for, for a generation, yep. right? Lower healthcare costs. You want, you know, better rent costs. You want more affordable education. Those are things that the left has been calling for, for decades, right? The people I'm talking about are this hard right, the you know, authoritarian right Gen X, that were super apathetic when they were growing up. Right? Listen to Soundgarden. It, this group didn't yep. listen to Sound. DeSantis didn't no. listen to Soundgarden. No, DeSantis. But the thing with guys like DeSantis is they're all failed theater kids. But the 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 <laughs> they, they just are. These are these are people who couldn't hack it in entertainment and they decided to get into DeSantis politics, couldn't but, get the part as Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors in high school. So that's it. I'm running for governor. All of, all of like the Daily Wire staff. I don't know if you realize this or not. All of the Daily Wire staff, like Ben Shapiro is a failed screenwriter. Uh, Stephen Crowder is a failed comedian. Crowder's not funny. Yeah, Crowder's an and, idiot. And, I think Shapiro's and, bright. Shapiro's a bright guy. And he, look, he was a screen. He, he tried to be a screenwriter, couldn't hack it, got into conservative media because it's easy. The uh, Tucker Carlson, failed theater kid. Candace well, Carlson was basically a Democrat on MSNBC yeah. 10 years ago. So, I mean, that doesn't Ted, count. Ted Cruz, failed theater kid. These are all I'm not kidding. Like he was in Shakespeare Shakespearean plays in college. Like uh the these it's it's a through line of of people who tried to get entertainment. But the reason Can we interview Ted Cruz on that? I would love to have somebody ask, hey Ted, when you did Shakespeare in high school, and did you play Rosencrantz or 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 Gildenstein or Goldenstein? What'd you play? What'd you play? My my thing was it what is it Rosencrantz and who what is it how does it Golden, I don't know I, don't I know can't what you're fucking about. I know Rosencrantz did my, he play Rosencrantz the thing that I'm pointing at though is you have this whole group of people that grew up apathetic yes and and their first kind of getting thrown into the icy water of politics was uh, a three year stretch between 1998. In 2001, right? That three, four year stretch where suddenly we're dealing with school shootings, right? And these are people who are just now having kids and, and raising, starting to raise families or the Gen Xers at this point, right? My, my parents started having kids in 93, people who are just slightly younger than my dad, who was born in 69, right? They're having kids in 97, 98, 99, and they're looking at Columbine and thinking, well, how can we stop this? Now you've got the crime bill in that context that's coming out. These are the people who may have, you know, maybe they supported Reagan when they were just starting to vote, right? When they were just starting to think about politics at this point, but they didn't really care, right? Because whatever, it's the establishment. Establishment sucks. You go through the whole grunge era where you don't give a shit. You don't care. Right. You're just kind of trying to live your life. And then 9-11 happens. Yep. And and I think that's probably the change, right? Because that ended the decade, kind of a loss of innocence. And I think there are people who maybe were center left who became center right to hard right at the, the at the moment that happened. Right. There there is. And I'm saying this not as like a historical analyst, but as a as a 30 year old man who grew up watching all of the adults in my life collectively lose their minds post 9-11. Yeah. Right? 
there is a very deep trauma that we don't talk about collectively as a nation. Every year we do this thing where where September rolls around and we do the never forget thing and we talk about where you were when it happened, right? And all I think, and, and this has been my thought the last few years on this, I don't want to talk about 9-11 anymore. I kind of don't either. I, I, I'm tired of reliving that. Right. And, and as a kid, right. I was, I was, I was seven years old, eight years old watching that on my floor as my mom was sobbing on the couch, unable to explain to us what was happening. And I'm watching people throw themselves from a building at seven years old. I'm watching this on live television and no one can explain it to me. And then we just don't talk about it. Yeah. Right. We just go on with our lives. Tim, I was terrified to go downtown in cities my entire life. Yeah. Until I was like 15, 16 years old. I could sure. not handle tall buildings. I couldn't stand being around them. I didn't I didn't want to be in like we went to Chicago and I had a panic attack in the car. I yeah. Well, I would too in Chicago. Chicago sucks. <laughs> I couldn't look out the window because I was terrified of the buildings. Yeah. And like that's that is a, a deep unrealized trauma that we have as a nation, and then every year we're dredging that up, and it turns into this kind of this hyper nationalist point of very anti-Muslim sentiment, uh, which turned into, you know, are you you know weak on the border, weak on the troops? It turned into a culture war issue, and then you know we're talking about like you know gays in the military and can they serve, and that turns into a cult, and everything kind of stems from the spiral that we had post nine 11. Yeah. I do and, think there's something to be said that I think that serves as a, obviously a clear end of the nineties, like Klosterman says. And it also serves, I think as maybe a clear line of demarcation that we were never going. And I think Klosterman touches on this too, actually at the end of the book, maybe touches on that's the end of, there was sort of a, that's, that's sort of it for that, for the collective, for the collective, right? That was sort of it for a, hey, we got things we disagree on, but we can meet in the middle on these things. We can talk about this, that, or the other thing. And it was like a, nope, you're either here or you're there. And that's that. Um, yeah. And I feel like, yeah, we're on like 22 years of that. And that, so that makes sense. So this is why I recommend the Klosterman book to you. And I recommend it to anybody who listens, because I think Chuck Klosterman's brilliant. Um, and there's some lighthearted stuff in there too. You and I have hit on some of the serious points here, but yeah. um, there's tons of lighthearted good stuff in there as well, right? There's, you know, you can talk about, he talks about Michael Jordan and talks about, you know, OJ. And not that that's lighthearted, but it's it's interesting. The biosphere too, all those things. Classic 90s stuff, he hits on all of that. So I recommend it. But I don't know, Ryan. Are, so is this, it's something to keep an eye on, the Gen X streak. If this is it, or if if, if this is it for my generation ever, do, you wish we had better representation for a Gen X candidate per se, but right now it's not looking great. Yeah, it's an old man field again right now. Unless Haley or DeSantis breaks through, and it at least creates a young, at least some a, a young versus old, a little bit of that dialogue. And I'm I'm not I'm not big on Biden running again. I think I've been clear about that with you personally. That it's just I'm not wild about him running again. I'm not either. Um, I'm very, I'm not sure he's all there at 80 years old, which again, you're 80 years old. You don't have to apologize for that. Jesus Christ. I I don't, I don't think I'm going to have all my faculties at 80, but you're trying to be president of the United States and yeah, you're trying to run the damn country at 80 and and he's done a pretty good job for being 80. My, my only thing is this, right? It's, I am, 
you, you start to look at who the alternatives are and they're not great. They're not mostly. great. Uh, except for one. And I don't think we've talked about them much like at I'm, all. I, I don't know who you're going to say. Don't say Pete Buttigieg. No, he's I would been never, terrible. He should resign. I, I would, I would never, I, he's one of two people that I'll never vote for. There, there yeah. are two, there are two Democrats that I will never vote for. He's one of them. Yeah. He, he should resign tomorrow. The, the other one would surprise you, but uh, <laughs> it's, I would never vote for Bernie Sanders either. But uh, Well, you've made that pretty clear. That one surprised me. Um, You're not a Bernie Sanders guy. You've been very clear about that. I, I don't like Bernie Sanders. Um, Is it because he reminds about, you of Doc Brown from Back to the Future and you really don't like those movies? No, it's because I think he surrounds himself with idiots and sycophants. But, uh, well, there's that. The, yeah. Um, the one we don't talk about has gotten everything done that they promised to get done has um, led their state through a a pretty tough time and and you know kind of a flashpoint season and and did a good job with it won a re-election against a tough opponent Tim I think we need to talk about Tim Walls for president I don't think so I, I don't he doesn't strike former, me as that type of guy former teacher I, military guy there's a lot I like about Tim Walls I really do I wish people I know the I know some of my right friends will tell me oh Tim Walls sucks blah 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 taxing Timmy and all the stupid nicknames they come up with but what I'll tell you is this I'm like I'll take a guy who's a regular dude that guy was a that guy was a public school teacher and a football coach yeah. that guy you know that guy served in a you know when he was in Congress he was just working for the people in Mankato he didn't talk about having big aspirations, running for Senate, that kind of thing. He came back to run for governor because it made sense for him to come home and not be in Washington. Like he's a regular dude with kids that go to school. And I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm a Walls guy. I like Tim Walls. I do. I think he's a regular dude who I like a lot. Um, that being said, you know how this is. I, I think he's a great candidate, but I thought Amy Klobuchar was a great candidate. But he's, she's not going to get any traction. He's They're too milk toast. They're too Midwest. They're too milk toast. See, see, that's the thing is I don't think I don't think Tim Walls is. I think Tim Walls is going to take it on bullies. And I, I think, think he actually he's actually shown that he'll talk to Republicans. I actually that's why I'm like I don't get this talk that he's like oh he's this authoritarian dictator. I'm like I don't know. I felt like he worked with Pence pretty hand in hand during the COVID stuff. I thought they had a good relationship. He like, worked and he worked with the Republicans to get police reform done when they held the Senate. So like that. Yeah. You know, he's he's able to get that stuff done. But my my point with him is that he can stand up to bullies. Right. He's really he's really good at standing up to bullies. He's he's spoken out before. Right. He is left enough on enough key issues that I think you don't lose the left. Right. He's been environmentally conscious, especially protecting the, the boundary waters up north. He's been huge on LGBT issues. He's great on education because he's a former public school teacher. Those are the three big issues that you have to be good on to get the left on your side. And he's got them. He's been great with organized labor. They'd back him. Uh, you know, problem is me, the problem is the left is too big on identity politics. That's the problem. Like he doesn't fit what they want. He no, doesn't fit with the, some of the. But new does Biden. But they 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 held their nose and voted for Biden. I don't think they want to do that again. I don't think they do either. But I think that they will if they're faced with DeSantis. Because you want to talk about identity issues. Uh, I think Walls is. There's a Daily Beast article titled this too, so I'm, I'm going to shout them out. But. Uh, there's an, uh, an article titled uh, Tim Walls is the anti-Ron DeSantis, which is where I kind of got this idea, you know, where this idea got put in my head a little bit. I, I think that, you know, where where Amy Klobuchar had a problem with kind of articulating her positions and her policies and, you know, she's a decent senator and a really good lawyer. But Tim Walls comes across as a regular dude who isn't a lawyer. Uh, 
and he's got some Jed Bartlett to him, I think. And and I think that's kind of what we need right now. Is a, we need mm. a, we need a little Jed Bartlett to us right now. I just don't know if he's. I don't know if he's got enough where the country will kind of get behind him. He's not like Gavin Newsom. Not that I would vote for Gavin Newsom. I don't think he's very good either. Um, but I just don't. I don't know. I, I I think that there is this identity thing on the left, and I get the vibe that that's not what they want. I don't think they want another old white guy running for office. Not that Walls is old. I mean, he's in his fifties or something. But I mean, it's. I, I just don't think that that's what they. I get the vibe that the powers on the left don't want that. Just like I don't think the guys on the right want Trump either. I really don't. Like, I think if you ask the right guys today, they'd say they'd rather have Nikki Haley or they'd rather have DeSantis or they'd rather have anybody but Trump just may not come down to that. Well, and I think that, you know, they're they're wishing on a monkey's paw with DeSantis too because the minute we start, everybody wants to say that the economy is their number one issue because it makes them sound smart. But do you know what the real number one issue is for most Americans? Hmm. It's education. Yeah because they want their kids to have a good education. And if you if you walk in there and you say, this guy's been banning books in his state of Florida and he's going to do that nationwide, you're going to lose a lot more people than you gain uh, you know, across the country. And you're going to have a huge turnout of people who say, you know, we don't want that anywhere near our education system. Uh, and and you're going to have libertarians who, who, who rebel and say, you know, we generally like a lot of the policies that he brings in, but he's talking about too much government control. The left though has and, to get more, they have to get around on the messaging though. The CRT stuff. I mean, cause I don't think CRT thing's a thing. I really don't like I'm a, not. I've been a public school teacher for 10 years. It's just not a thing. It's not a thing. Uh, it's not something that any district has actively said, no, you will teach this or else. Like it's never happened. Are there teachers? Sure. Are there probably some activist teachers? Sure. Just like there's activist mechanics. Just like there's activist truck drivers, just like there's activist podcasts, just like there's activist insurance salesmen. There's, there's, there, of course there are, of course, but that it's not something that's legislated on high. And the problem is the left does not get around on that at all. Like they are horrendous at cutting off that messaging. The right have been so much better at it. And it's like, if that's going to change, you got to get out in front. Like you, you got to start swinging that, the, that tide the other direction because teachers are getting bludgeoned by yeah. parents and by the media and by the Tucker Carlson's of the world. And it's not fair, right? It's, it's really not because like, I know what I do every day when I go to school and I damn sure, you know, I, we're, I think us teachers are crying out. We'd love to have a little help here, you know, yeah. help us with the behavior stuff, you know, help us with all this stuff. Quit talking about book banning. We're not even doing any of that. Get on top of the behavior stuff for us. Help us out on cell phones, help us out on internet, help us out on chat GPT. Yeah. Like, Jesus sure. Christ, quit fucking getting up my ass about to kill a mockingbird. Like, I give a shit about that. Yeah, your kid your kid tried to write an essay using an AI this week. Maybe let's talk about that instead. Yeah, fucking A. Jesus. Anyway, so we just did 50 minutes on politics. I So anyway, right, final recommendment. Go read the Chuck Closerman book, The 90s. It's a book. It's really, really good. It's my recommendation to you. Ah, Rhino, 54 minutes. Should we talk a little sports on our way out today? Let's do it. It's not a book for the agency. Yeah. Hey, first, let me ask you this. I got to get two of those in because we really covered a lot there. All right. The Bears traded away the number one pick to the Panthers. Panthers who gave then, up a lot. Who then they gave up too away. much. What? Who then and then they want to trade it away. away. It's like draft day. It's like, who's, who's running that? Kevin Costner? He's like, I want all my picks back. Give me my picks back. Give me all my picks back. I'm waiting for that. It's, it's, it's so weird. Um, your thought, I thought it was a great trade by the Bears. Great trade by the Bears. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, hate that it happened in our division. Uh, yep. 
because every other team in our division, except for the Packers, seems like they're getting pretty good. Uh, Vikings moving into teardown mode here, but uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But the uh, no, it was a great trade by the Bears. Uh, I think that you know you still get the feeling that maybe they're considering moving on from Justin Fields. Uh, that you you're starting to to get the feeling that they don't know if he can develop into a real passer, uh, and they may they may give it one more year yet, but. You know, they're going to have a decently high draft pick next year when the Panthers aren't good uh, because you took their best offensive weapon. So they're not going to have an offense this year. So you I mean, you guarantee yourself a gilded pick next year and you get this haul this year. So, yeah, great trade by the Bears. If Fields takes a step forward, he's got Mooney and he's got more, and we like Cole Komet, like that's not bad on no. offense for them next year if he develops as a passer. Right, yeah, and th- I think that's the key, right? And can you bring Montgomery back? Because you need a decent running game with him back there too. And you right. got pick nine, so you're going to get a player. You're going to get somebody yep. who can help you. You got their second round pick, right, at pick 61 or whatever it was. Yeah, yep. So I mean, like you got you you get you get an asset next year, an asset the year before, but you get two assets this year. That's huge. They should be able to do something big with that. I would think. I like the Bears. I like what they did there. That was really impressive. Yeah, I, I liked it too. Um, so um, you know, you, we'll see how it how it pans out, and and they may decide to draft a quarterback at nine two. You don't know. No, right? you don't. You could you could get a decent haul for for Justin Fields if you decided to trade him. Where does Anthony Richardson rank? I'm hearing a lot of steam on him. Where is he in your world? Uh, so take this with a grain of salt because I haven't done my full draft thing yet. I'm kind of waiting for to see how free agency shakes out a bit. Um, but if I'm looking at at Anthony Richardson just as a raw product. I don't know that there's a quarterback on the board this year that has more big plays, more, more big, big plays in him than, than Anthony Richardson. Now he's super inconsistent. So you're, you have to deal with that a little bit. You got to take the good with the bad a little bit with him. Um, but I mean, he's, he's got the biggest arm. He's got the best legs. He's just inconsistent. Right, his mechanics aren't always great. He makes poor decisions. He's got to grow into the position a little bit. But if you're going to ask me to make a comparison, he reminds me a little of Josh Allen. Uh, mm. He's got he's got some Josh Allen to his game a little bit. I would so that first round pro- pick. Yeah, I think it's a first round pick. You I think, think he's, he's a first round pick? I think he's a top ten pick. If I'm being honest with top you, top ten. Yeah, I don't know if so, anybody's going to take him top ten. But if I were if I were rating him, I'd, I'd put him, I'd take him top ten. So hang on a minute. For the longest time, it's been. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis. Yeah, I don't like Will Levis. Are you saying that like Richardson has moved ahead of Levis, or do you yeah. think he's it now moved into a conversation of four guys? Well, I, I think it's always been a conversation of four guys. Really? Because I had not really heard of him up until like a month ago as real steam. Yeah, I, and and that's probably because uh, it wasn't certain that he was going to come out and uh, he could have used maybe one more year at Florida. Uh, but I mean, think of it like this, where, where Josh Allen played at Wyoming and there were questions about his level of competition coming out, right. Where you didn't know if you'd be able to, to see that development with him. Richardson's a guy that played in the sec, right? Right. So he's up against the LSU's, the Georgia's, the Alabama's, and he's, he's doing what he did. That's fair. Right. Yeah. Uh, So I, I, I like that out of him. I think he's, he's just. He makes some mental errors. Will Levis, I think, is the bigger wild card, and I'd probably put him fourth out of four. 
maybe like fifth. Uh, well, who would you have in front of him then to be fifth? Uh, honestly, um, I think he's criminally underrated, but I really like Aiden O'Connell from Purdue. Oh, I come re- on. I really like Aiden O'Connell from Purdue. Uh, Over Will Levis, yeah. who also played in the SEC, yeah, who also put up big numbers against those guys. Well, kind of. He had a bad his, – his junior year was better than his senior year. Right. And if he would have come out last year, I think we'd be talking about a, a different situation with him. But this past year, he didn't look good. Um, we could talk about Tanner McKee from Stanford too. Uh, now, Stan, I don't want anything from Stanford. They suck. Uh, he's. I don't think he's a bad quarterback. But for me, the, it's it's a it's a conversation of three really good options between Bryce Young, who I think is far and away the favorite, C.J. Stroud, who I think is the safe pick, and I think you've got. Uh, uh, Anthony Richardson at three. So is this why Carolina maybe wants to trade back down? And now that they've acquired this pick, they could do the Kevin Costner. I want all my picks back. Maybe they can go and get a haul from somebody in the four spot. Yeah. Well, that's Indianapolis and Indianapolis is sitting there saying they don't know if they're, if they're all in on any of these quarterbacks and they might want to trade down out of four. Uh, so the, there was some conversation and this is, this gets into kind of the Viking side of this thing. Um, there's been conversations of, uh, Minnesota, maybe moving Kirk cousins, um, and in a package for one of these picks, uh, to go get their quarterback up in the top five, uh, because Indianapolis wants a quarterback, but they don't want to, you know, they don't want to trade for any of the guys that are available for trade right now, or, you know, they don't want to, if they don't want to draft the guys that they like there, if Carolina doesn't like the guys that they like there. You know, we think Rodgers is going to end up in New York, but it sounds like there's some doubt right now as to whether McAfee thought that was a done deal today on his show. But, yeah, we don't really know. Yeah, Trey Wingo said it was done and then Rappaport said it wasn't. Uh, And it it sounds like that it's on the Rodgers side of things that it's not quite done. So if that's Mm -hmm. the case, then, uh, you know, could Minnesota take really take a swing out of of Green Bay and, and trade Cousins to New York if they wanted to do that? I think that'd be a kind of a ballsy move. But um So, there, there, yeah, there's legitimate talk that Minnesota might move out of Cousins. He's got one year what left a, in his deal. What about this theory? What about the idea of, like, if you're O'Connell and you say, you know what? Let's go get the number one pick. Let's go get Bryce Young. Why not move Cousins and your first round pick and then maybe something else? If you're Carolina, why wouldn't you take that? Because yeah, Vikings, I mean, what do the Vikings have? A top 12 pick? Like, what do they have? Or do they not have enough capital? Right now, the Vikings have the 23rd pick. What? Oh, that's yeah. right. We made the playoffs. That's right. We yeah. were actually good the, this year. I forget about the 20, that. Yeah, 13 and 4. So we don't have the capital. We don't have the draft capital. You, the, your draft capital comes from what can you get back for Dalvin Cook? And it sounds like he's going to get moved in the next couple of days. What can you get? It, if if anything, what can you get back for Zadarius Smith? Because he's gone in the next couple of days. What, if anything, can you get back for Harrison Smith? Uh, nothing that would move you up into the top 15, not without, you can't get first round picks because what you're doing is you're probably packaging this year's first next year's first and cousins to move up into the top 15 and you, and then you got to move from the 15 to the one somehow. Well, that's a lot of wheeling and dealing if you're, and 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 we didn't think Adolfi Monsmets had a great draft last year. I don't think that you, you have to jump up to one. I think if you can get to four with Indianapolis, and, and make that work and, and create some kind of package to get some guys to Indy. 
Now that I think is something that you could swing because they they're desperate for a quarterback. Yes, but so is Carolina though. Right, but Carolina Carolina's roster isn't one that they feel like they can win their division. Hmm. And they're they're in for more of a long rebuild. Indy's in the in the AFC South where you feel like if you can compete with Jacksonville, you've got a decent shot at winning. Where's the latest you could be to get Anthony Richardson? Cuz I would assume what if Carolina wants Richardson? And they say, you know what? They could have just taken him at nine, but maybe they didn't feel like he'd be there at nine. Do you think there's a chance they want to stay in the top 10? But where's the safest place to trade down, acquire the most picks, and still get the guy they want? So let's let's look at, at who needs what right now, right? So Carolina, we know, is sitting at one. They need a quarterback. Houston sitting at two. They need a quarterback. Yep. Right? So take your top two off the board right there. Houston doesn't have to move. They know they're going to get Stroud or Young. Doesn't matter. Right. If if they're good with either of them, yep, they can sit at two. Otherwise, they can move up to one with a fairly you know fairly easy if Carolina's looking to move down. Right. If Carolina doesn't care, they can either take whoever they want or you know Houston can can move up. Then you've got you've got Arizona who probably they need one for it. They need one for the first eight weeks. Yeah, but but he probably isn't drafting a quarterback. This no, year. not at the third plate. No, they'll, they'll they'll trade for something or they'll sign somebody. You've got Indianapolis who says they're not in love with any of the picks, but they're fourth. They need a quarterback. Could be a smokescreen. And here you've got a run of teams that, you know, could they draft a quarterback? Sure. Will they? No. Seattle just signed a huge contract with Geno Smith. But it's a one year. It's really a one year deal. They could get out of that in a year. They They could, but they're not drafting a quarterback this year. Probably not. Right. They need offensive line help. Correct. And 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 defensive line. They they need help in the trenches. You've got Detroit at number six with the with the Rams pick there mm-hmm. for, for Stafford. They need help on defense. Yep. I don't right? see them. They're, they like Goff. I don't see any reason yep. to move. They, Goff they played could, really well for them last year. They could draft a quarterback just as like a, hey, why don't you sit behind Goff for a couple of years and then it's your show. But they could do that right? in round two. Exactly. This is where I think Aiden O'Connell could end up in, in round two or three. Sure. Uh, number seven. Now, if you would have asked me yesterday, I would have said, "Yeah, the Raiders need a need a quarterback." But they signed Jimmy G today. They signed Jimmy G today, so you're not you're they're probably not drafting a quarterback in Oakland. Certainly not. And they got him for a bargain, really twenty two million dollars a year, twenty five million dollars a year at this point for a starting QB. They've been out of Oakland long enough. I should not be calling them the Oakland Raiders. Yeah, Uh, Vegas, but I mean twenty five mil for for Garoppolo a year. Based on the fact that a lot of quarterbacks are getting 40, 45, that's, I think that's pretty good. There's an argument to be made that, that Atlanta could take a quarterback at eight, which is why I said eight's the latest. I think Um, you're right. I think you're right. Because I don't think they're high in Desmond Ritter. I think they want to see something else. Now, the only other thing that I think here is that they may be waiting until next year to try and get Caleb Williams. Mm. Uh, Arthur Smith can't afford to wait another year because he's going to get fired if he does that. Maybe, but. At the same time, Jordan Addison is going to be sitting right there. Uh, Quinton Johnston is going to be sitting right there from TCU. And you need wide receivers bad in Atlanta, right? There's an argument to be made that, you know, Desmond Ritter could be good if you put weapons around him. But who the hell do they have in in, in Atlanta? Kyle Pitts. And there's not a great it. free agent out there. Odell Beckham wants $20 million, which I say, F that. I'm not doing that under any circumstances. Especially especially not when you're you're trying to rebuild a defense in Atlanta where – you know, you have you have to build something around Desmond Ritter before you can really evaluate whether or not he's your quarterback. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. 
he didn't look great last year, but again, who was he throwing to? Just Kyle Pitts, who we were told is good, and I'm still and people still tell me he's good. So we'll see. He, uh, he's the only weapon in that offense, right? The only one. There is no one else. So I mean, and he might not be te- good. Technically, you had Cordero Patterson, but like, do we count Cordero Patterson? Yeah, he was good uh, last year, or he was good. He's been good. So after that, it's another run of teams that don't need quarterbacks. So we're, right? we're thinking eight. Yeah, Carolina so can, can move to eight, but they've got to get. I mean, you got to get three picks back to do that, or a player. Yeah. Yep. And who's going to do and, that? And what you got to worry about too is trades because you've got quarterbacks that could get moved. Because if you're Atlanta, you've got a ton of money, you got a lot of picks. You know, maybe you want to use that on a wide receiver, and you want to trade your third for Trey Lance. If you're somebody who is sitting, yeah, you know, Lance is interesting. That's interesting. If you're in the top eight. Who blinks first on Lamar Jackson? Like, does Baltimore just figure this out and get him paid and get him in because they can't not? Or does some team come up and say, you know what? We'll guarantee those. We'll guarantee four of those five years and give him, you know, a $200 million, $180 million, $200 million contract. We'll do that. Here's here's the interesting thing here. And and Zach made fun of the, the Vikings signing that Ravens tight end today, who's, by the way, the number one run blocking tight end in pro football focus last year which is clearly the focus that the Vikings are trying to rebuild that running game. Right. Uh, I'm wondering if they're going to make a run at Lamar Jackson. Whoa. Because if this is what they're doing is, is if you sign Lamar, you have to change your offense a little bit to kind of fit what he does. Mm. And you need, you run a lot of 12 personnel, right? You run a lot of tight end stuff out there. You run the kind of that running back by committee, which they're they're moving away from Dalvin Cook. They're trying to sign some more power guys. But then you have Justin Jefferson on the outside. You can draft a wide receiver who can who can be your your second wide receiver out there. You've got TJ Hawkinson, who's a really, really good tight end who, who fits your athletic tight end build. And now you add Lamar Jackson into that, and you've got an offense that's kind of built for Jackson already. But didn't you just say we're in teardown mode and now you're telling me we're gonna mortgage everything for Lamar Jackson? But that's the thing right is teardown mode can mean a long teardown but what all we're seeing right now is we're getting rid of older players right so minnesota is is shedding all of their old players dalvin's gone they're trying to get rid of kirk they're trying to get rid of they already got rid of adam thielen harrison smith is probably gone zadarius smith is probably gone eric kendricks is gone they restructured jordan hicks who's slower than molasses in january they you traded got, Cam Dan- – they, they cut Cam Dantzler. Yeah, they let Pat, Pat Pete walk, right? It sounds like that the guys that they're going after in free agency, they just signed Marcus Davenport today, the defensive end, right? So 15 minutes ago that news broke. Uh, they just they, That's a, a power rusher who's going to take Zadarius Smith's spot for cheaper than he was getting paid, right? So Zadarius Smith is probably gone. Uh, and you've got, you know, you've maybe Sean Murphy bunting or Byron Murphy. As, as corners coming in and you're going to let it roll with what you got and you got a full draft ahead of you. So I'm thinking. But if you trade for Lamar Jackson, you don't have a full draft because that's your whole, that that's Kirk. You're probably going to have to trade Kirk with that deal. You got to give up your 23rd. You're yep. probably going to give up your second round pick and you might even have to give up a, you might have to give him a future first, and maybe even two future, future firsts. Let, let me just say, I'm okay with that for one reason. 
The Lamar price tag is not cheap. It's and not. then you've got to sign him. And then you've got to pay not. him $45 right. million dollars a year guaranteed. But it's 26. He's 26 years old. Injury right? prone. Former MVP. Not a great passer. That's not true, actually. He, the numbers the, aren't there. That's not true. If you look at him from the pocket, right, his his numbers from the pocket, even, even rolling out, right, his passing numbers are better than almost every quarterback in the NFL. Pa- on, ah. passing, on passing alone, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. We don't think about it because they don't pass a lot in Baltimore. The offense has not been built around that. The offense was built around him, though. It was built around him running, which is one of the reasons he wants to get out because he knows that there's no longevity in that. They didn't They didn't get him any weapons. Rashad Bateman was not who they thought he was going to be. He has not been. Right? You had That's Mark, fair. Mark Andrews is he's pretty good, right? But he's really your only weapon. James Prochet is not a great wide receiver. And you've got, you know, a, a, a litany of other guys who have been a, a rotating or a revolving door at slot in the wide receiver three, you know, that you don't have weapons out there for him. J.K. Dobbins is hurt. Your best running back is out the entire year. Gus Edwards is what? I mean, average at best. Yeah. Right. So you have an opportunity now to pair Lamar Jackson with Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, and, you know, I guess that you can say KJ Osborne, but I would rather, you know, draft somebody else. And I'm looking at the, the price. I'm just looking at the stats it. here. I mean, even last year, so he played. Well, first of all, he hasn't played 16 games except for 2018. Um, but even even the 15 year. Okay, let's take the 15 game seasons. 2019 threw for 3,127 yards. I mean, he had 36 touchdowns, six picks. That was his MVP year. Yep. That was that's pretty good. But yes. not a lot of yards, but pretty good. When you factor in the fact that he ran for 1,200 yards on top of that, you throw it together 4,300 yards total offense. I'll take that. That's pretty good. 2020, though, 2,700 yards. Like, that's it. 26 touchdowns, 9 picks. And then last year for 2021, he played 12 games. He had 16 touchdowns, 13 picks. 2,800 yards passing. That's nothing. That's terrible. But you've this year, he'd only had 2,200 yards before he got hurt. They were playing They were playing from behind a lot more because their defense took a step, step back, and he's forcing the ball into places just trying to find a receiver. Yeah. Right? So – you can't separate the conversation from he's a really good quarterback, former MVP, and has no weapons, right? His offensive line took a major step back. They had a ton of injuries last year all across the field, right? Every yeah. team deals with injuries, but it does have an effect on you statistically, and and it's okay to say that it does. And this so, idea that Joel Deshaun Watson got paid that much, it's like, well, the Browns are idiots. Why should every true. other team be stupid too? That's true. Now, I think that I would pay more for Lamar Jackson than Deshaun Watson. Uh, and I, and I, I do think that that he's making a conscious effort to change his game, right? And he is a good passer. When he gets an opportunity to throw the ball, he can throw the ball. Let me ask you, uh, and I mean to interrupt, but let me ask you this. There's talk, of, so he's not going to sign this tag, right? There's no way he's going to sign this for $32 million. Like, no. no chance, right? Um, what are the odds he sits out? If it's his only option, high. Do you think he? Do you think he signs the tag if that's his only option and he plays at thirty-two million dollars, or does he sit it out? Hard to say, really. I mean, it's 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 really hard to say with him because you on on one hand, 
you want to play so if if a team decides they want to make the trade midseason or an OTAs or something and you haven't committed to sitting out, you know, I think that that makes it easier to trade you and and to go somewhere that that you can actually, you know, want to play. Uh, I just don't know where that is. I don't know anywhere that would be able to afford him uh, that isn't already trying to make the money. You know what I mean? It's You have to make the money work and you have to make the draft work. And there's a lot of the teams that would trade for him that could use him are teams that either don't have the capital. I'm thinking about like Miami, right? Because if you put if – if, if Miami managed to get Lamar Jackson, it might make them – like contenders to beat Kansas City in the AFC. But if Kirk, Vikings offer Kirk two firsts and a second round pick to the Ravens for Lamar, who says no? I think it's more likely that the Vikings say no just on the money. Because then you got to sign Lamar. If yeah. you do that, you are committing to a four year guaranteed deal, at least with Lamar Jackson. Yeah, but again, with a, think, worth $45 million a year. I think if you can make the money work, I think it's worth it. Because now, then you have a, a guy who you're getting ten years younger at quarterback. It's true, right? You have a, a guy who who's shown that he can play, who adds a different dynamic to your offense, and you still have room to sign Justin Jefferson next year, right? Because you still have him on under contract for one more year, and you've cleared all this. You have a here's the thing: you have a hundred million dollars in cap space next year. Yep, right. You're tight this year. And it's going to get bigger next year because you're going to get rid of Harrison Smith. You're going to get rid of Zadarius. You're going to get rid of Dalvin. Hypothetically, you're getting rid of Kirk. Hypothetically, right? Which, the cap the cap goes up too, like it always does, yep, right? right? You get a little so, bit of a boost there. Right. So you, you're looking at maybe $120 million next year already where you know you can have Hawkinson, Derisaw, Jackson, and Jefferson, and there's your offensive core. Exciting. I, I, I'm telling you, you might have talked me into Lamar Jackson. You might have done it. I might now, be in on it with you. I'm not saying that they do it, but if you but can you're interested. The, but if you can make the money work, you kind of have to try. Because you kind of know what you have with Kirk. Right. And, and like, you know what you're getting with Lamar. And you're not drafting one at 23. Right. Because there's not going to be one there unless you want to draft Tanner McKee or Aiden, McC- Aiden O'Connell. Which I feel like that's a waste of a first round pick down there. I agree. Kind of got my it, you got my attention here because at twenty if you're keeping twenty three I think you're drafting a wide receiver and after a while yeah. these te- the musical chairs is going to stop here yep. like Garoppolo's in Vegas cars in New Orleans Aaron for all intents and purposes is going to the Jets right or retiring a lot of people feel like it's either the Jets or nothing because yep. he's not going back to Green Bay a lot of people feel like that's it he's not going back it's Jordan Love's team that's the end of it yep. So, I mean, then you've got Miami. Who just Maybe. signed Mike White as a backup to two, and they picked up Tua's option. Okay. Well, I, I think the question for me is how effective is Tua? Well, they picked right. up his option, which is 20-some-odd uh, million dollars, which is not bad. I mean, but you picked that up. You're eating $22 million now next year. Yep. But, if you know, they could potentially try to make a trade, right? So you've got them. Tampa needs a quarterback. It's true. But it's, it sounds like they're going to go after Baker Mayfield. Um, Minnesota, maybe hypothetically, right? We know Green Bay's going to roll Jordan Love, yep, right? Green we feel got, like that's going to happen. Got love, you know, you go division by division, you could probably make this work. But like, you know, 
New England's going to roll with Mac Jones. They're not. It doesn't sound like they're going to shop him this year. Nope, they're not moving. I think they they're okay with that. No one in the AFC West needs a quarterback, right? Yep. All, I think the South set. wants to roll with Kenny Pickett. Uh, they want to roll with Pick or yes, AFC is it South? I don't know. North, what, what's the North? What? North yeah, Pickett's, they're going to roll with Pickett. Deshaun would, Watson's going and, to Cleveland, and they That's would never it. they would never trade him in the division, right? He nope. would never. They're not going to trade him to Cincinnati. Doesn't they got Joe Burrow? But yep, and they got Joe Burrow, and Deshaun's not going from Cleveland. They're they're they are they are all in. They have hitched their wagon in Cleveland. They cannot move on it now, so they're stuck with him. It, you're really looking at just NFC teams at this point. Yep. Right. So, and out of those know, teams, maybe someone in the South, like maybe Atlanta, if they and they've already said they're out on him, right? They don't maybe want him. maybe San Francisco. If you Maybe, determine but, Lance isn't your guy or Purdy's arm, you know, is what it is. I don't think they're going to run that back. You know, I, I still think they're going to give a shot with Purdy. But, you know, San Francisco, they're a run first team. You know, he they may decide that they don't want to spend the money on him. They'd rather spend the money on their defense, which they've done. Right. And they got to rebuild their offensive line, too. Yeah, McGlinchey just signed with Denver today. Yeah, LA is in the in the middle. Of the, the Rams are in the middle of a, a big rebuild. There sounds like Stafford. They might be looking to get out of Stafford. Yep. So I mean, it's, they're not looking to pick up another big contract. Kyler Murray is, you know, Kyler Murray in Arizona. They've given him the keys to the franchise for better or for worse. Worse. And, you know, you've seen what what Seattle did in signing Geno Smith. So, Danny Dimes just got paid in New York. Yeah, and you know, you're not. Dallas isn't going to trade out of Dak, out of Dak Prescott. Not moving Dak. Eagles have Jalen Hurts. Not moving Jalen Hurts. Washington, maybe. Washington could be a team. I mean, you just got Eric Bieniemy as an offensive coordinator. Maybe he says, "I need a real guy." Taylor yeah. Heineke's not my guy. So you're you're left with, you know, in the AFC, you're really left with Indianapolis, Houston, Miami, and in the NFC, you've got Tampa, Minnesota, and the Cobra Washington. Commanders. Six teams. And that's unless you make a just a big D swing at the number one pick and you go to Carolina and you say, Hey, we'll trade Lamar Jackson and this pick, this pick, or whatever for the number one pick and two other whatever you create this huge package deal somehow. Yeah. Where Carolina says, Yeah, that sounds great. Well, and and really if you're looking at it like that, then you can take Carolina if, if we're looking at at the draft teams too. Take but if you're Carolina, you don't get all your picks back then. You have to give up all your picks. Yep. You have to give up the number one and everything else you have. And yep. you don't have any more assets. Right. So, you know, then you've got – I don't think they take that deal. No, I think so they you, want to trade down and get the picks back. They want to do the yep. Kevin Costner. But you've got – Carolina's looking to take to draft a quarterback. Houston's looking to draft a quarterback. Indianapolis, I don't know that their style really fits Lamar, and I don't know if they'd be in on him, but they, they still kind of fit. Yeah. So – Washington might draft a quarterback, but again, they're too low, so it leaves them in. So really, you're down to Minnesota if they decide to move on from Cousins, Washington, and Indianapolis. Maybe Indianapolis. Indianapolis? Yeah, maybe. So Indianapolis plays indoors. Lamar might like that. Fast track. You get some decent wide receivers in India with Michael Pittman and and Paris Campbell. So Yeah. If Campbell's coming back, I don't remember if Campbell's coming. He's back. a free agent. I mean, he's out there. That's why it's a low. It's not a great crop. Anyway, anyway, those. I, so, I think that it's it's not it's not likely, but I would also say it's not unlikely. So the bat signal, I, I'm going to be out of town for a couple of days in Florida, which is why I don't want this to break while I'm gone. 
if this breaks, though, we're going to have to get back in here in emergency pod. We got to be yeah. ready. Yeah. If not, we're going to table this till Saturday. And you, me, Rhino, and Ty in a quad pod are going to break this down, whether it's Lamar or Aaron Rodgers or both or all of it. Yeah. I'm in on that. All right. So do we table that until then? I think so. I think that's I think what so. we got to do. Let, let free agency play out a little bit. Yep. That opens up Wednesday, right? Uh, we're in yeah. the tampering We're in the tampering uh, t- stage right now. Yeah. And anything that happens on Lamar isn't going to happen until Wednesday. You're right. Okay. We may, we may get a Dalvin Cook trade in the next couple of days. Next couple of days. We'll keep an eye on that as well. Hey, we did an hour 23, Rhino. I appreciate you. Yeah, of course. A lot of stuff tonight on the pod. We appreciate you listening. Some, you know, politics, some history, some sports. Do a little bit of everything on Pod Paris. Oh, and Scotty Scheffler's really good at golf. Yes. Point that out. Yes, he is. I just want to point Holy that out smokes. for the record. Guy's a machine. Have you been working on his like little slide footwork thing that he does? Uh, I haven't. I don't know what you're talking about. We can talk about. Have you not watched the way he swings? The way you know his, his the way he just kind of shuffles and slides his his feet, and nobody does that. Nobody swings like that. No, I haven't seen it. He's got like if, if you just look at the just a lot of people have that very conventional golf swing. Scheffler looks all over the place. It's pre- it's kind of entertaining. Fair enough, I suppose. Scheffler's game though is pretty intense. Like he's fun to watch. He's really that really guy good. can that guy can. He's real good. Yeah. His putter's unbelievable. <laughs> Fearless, fearless around the greens and fearless off the tee. Love that guy. That was awesome. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody, to the podcast this week. That will do. Uh, come find us again on Apple, po- Apple, Spotify, uh, Audible, or everywhere you get a podcast. Everywhere you get a podcast. Go ahead and do that. Subscribe, download, listen, uh, comment, like, do all of that. We got a couple of jack offs on Apple Podcasts, give us bad ratings. So you got to help us out and offset that. I'd appreciate it if you did. Um, and then do all of that. You can send me a comment, Mr. Tim Anderson on Instagram, Tim Anderson Pod on Twitter. You can drop us an email, TimPodcast1 at yahoo.com. I would appreciate it. You can go back and listen to the archive, TimPodcast.podbean.com. And until next time, for Ryan, this is Tim saying keep your head up, and we'll see you. 